0: Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And today we're talking about Benjamin Britten's Albert Herring, written and debuted in 1947, I believe, Eric. Exactly. It was a product of of Britten's attempt to
1: form his own sort of opera company, the English Opera Group, to uh, form a company that would produce these new operas that were chamber operas, that would be easy to produce As a touring production. Exactly. Which is why uh, in this country you can actually see Albert Herring fairly easily because it's a favorite of university opera programs uh, and small companies. And it's, you know, it's a wonderful piece. It's a comedy and it's, it's, uh, again, a chamber opera. So the forces are are relatively small and lots of roles for lots of different people. And as you say, this was Britain reviving... British opera. Exactly.
0: Exactly. As a nationalistic product, in in essence. He'd had such success with Peter Grimes a couple of years earlier. And here we have Albert Herring, based on, originally on a short story by Guy de Maupassant. Maupassant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But transposed to the British countryside.
1: Yeah. I I, kind of think of it as sort of what you would get if you crossed opera with... I don't know, the Vicar of Dibley or one of those great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> those great um, uh, uh,
0: BBC comedies that you see on Channel 8 all the time. The year is 1900. We're in the village of Loxford in Suffolk, which of course is the part of, of Britain that Britain grew up in. And we have this sort of idealized rural English village that is ruled over in some respects by the Lady Billows. Yes. <laughs> Quite a uh, formidable old battle axe, <laughs> one might say. And, uh, and to, to extend your analogy, she's sort of a Maggie Smith type. Thing. Right.
1: <laughs> Precisely. And she's uh, she's convening this committee uh, amongst the townspeople. They're, they're going to elect the May Queen for that year. But uh, they're apparently having trouble finding well, I mean, the May Queen is supposed to be a virgin, basically, and represent purity and all these wonderful, pure values, and they just can't quite seem to find one in town <laughs> this this time around. They're having a uh, a crisis of uh, a, a moral crisis that that seems to be town wide, according
0: to Lady Billows and some of her her confederates. So we have this opening scene at Lady Billow's residence where uh, some of the, the local great and good who are part of this committee have convened to discuss possible nominations for the, the Queen of the May. And we have the, the town mayor, we have the, the vicar, we have the local school teacher, and the police superintendent. Right so they they go through a list of of nominees and none of the the, the women the young women are suitable they all have uh, some sort of indiscretion against their name
1: yes lady billows is quite uh put out that uh, that they're ha- having this uh, what does she say something about uh, a spawning ground of horror i think she calls it <laughs> so they decide apparently that since they can't find a May queen, what about a May king? Because they, they land upon the idea of this unassuming, shy, retiring sort of, I guess you'd have to say he's a milk toast in a way, Albert Herring. He's the son of the, uh, the grocer woman. She owns a grocer's store and he works in the store. He's so shy and unassuming and unprepossessing and and ordinary that uh, there's no scandal attached to his name whatsoever because nothing much happens to him, bless his heart.
0: So he is this sort of wallflower. Yeah, absolutely. And and nobody doubts his virtue because he's just so retiring that uh, he never would have had the opportunity to, to do anything indiscreet. Plus... He's Mrs. a mama's Herring. boy. And <laughs> uh, Mrs. Herring, his mother, is is very domineering. Yes. She keeps a very keeps him on a very tight leash. He is tied to her strings with uh, uh, a sailor's knot, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Bless his heart. Lady Bellows finally comes around to agreeing that, yes, they'll go with the King of the May rather than the Queen of the May. And off they go to the Herring store, yes. the green grocery, to talk to Mrs. Herring and Albert and congratulate him on being selected king of the may. Exactly. And how does he react? Well,
1: once the committee has has marched out of the store and he's left alone with his mother, he admits that he's kind of inclined to decline the the honor. He doesn't want that he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He does not it makes him very very
0: uncomfortable. There is also a part of his character that bemoans the situation that he finds himself in.
1: Yes, the situation that that he's gotten himself in. He's a al- I mean he's 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 allowed his mother to sort of bind him to her to the extent that she has and he he sees his friend Sid and and his Sid's girlfriend Nancy and he sees the you know the sort of blossoming relationship that they have and and thinks to himself, "Well, I wonder, you know, what what might I be missing because of who I am and who my mother is.
0: (laughs) So he uh, is persuaded to accept the honor. Yes. And on the day of the May Festival, he shows up to be crowned King of the May. And Sid and Nancy play a little trick on him. Well, yeah. Uh, Sid
1: spikes his lemonade, (laughs) basically. With rum. With rum, exactly. Uh, Very potently spikes his lemonade. And so... Yeah, and this is happening during the festival rehearsal, and they, they go through the ceremony, and at the end of the ceremony, uh, they they drink a toast, and Albert drinks the lemonade, and wow! <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. Good lemonade! <laughs> <laughs> and then later that night, after all the, the festivities are over and the ceremony's over, uh, Nancy actually comes to the store. Nancy, who is Sid's girlfriend, but she and Albert kind of, you know, share a moment, and they... And Albert starts to Well, the the blinkers are off a little bit and it's he starts the awakening. To, yes. He
0: starts to realize what he's been missing in life. As part of his being King of the May, he has been awarded a cash prize, I think twenty-five guineas. Okay. Which in nineteen hundred I guess was quite a lot of money. <laughs> and he then decides he's got this money in his pocket. Nancy goes off on her date with Sid. And Albert says, I've got the means to go off and have a good time myself, which and is what he does. And does, right? <laughs> without telling anybody. Cut to the next morning, and Albert is nowhere
1: to be found. And his mother is in a swivet. <laughs> and it just it sort of builds and builds as more and more townspeople get drawn in, and they're all just they are in quite almost a frenzy, wondering where Albert Herring is. Because here's this guy who who was about as reliable as, as you could possibly imagine up until that point. I mean, you always knew where he would be, what he would be doing, that it would be virtuous and, and rather ordinary and... and uh, N- nothing you know, to worry about. Completely predictable. Nothing whatsoever to worry about. And then all of a sudden, bang, he's gone, and nobody knows where he is, what he's doing, what he's been up to, until the shop door opens and Albert pokes his head in. And what does he say? Where's he been? Well... He has a, a bit of a soliloquy, and and he uh, concocts a tale of, of what's he, what he's been up to and where what he's been doing. A tall um, tale. Yes, exactly. I, I I think I think we're given to to understand that he's exaggerating a bit for shock value,
0: right? Just right. you know to uh, upend everybody's expectations of him. He can't have done too much because he still has twenty two guineas of the twenty five, so he's only spent three <laughs> guineas, right? <laughs> so, in. Many respects, this opera is, it's the Bildungsroman, isn't it? It's the, the education, it's the flowering, it's the, the coming to manhood of Albert Herring. Albert Herring,
1: of the most ordinary, you know, young man possible. It, you know, what we take away from it is, you know, number one, of course, there's Britain's score, which is, I mean, everything the man wrote, uh, I mean, in, in my humble opinion, was just amazing. And it's it's rich and it's detailed and it's characterful. And then, you know, you have this, this wonderful comedy, that's uh, of people that you just love to spend time with in this small town, in the same way that we love, you know, to watch the Andy Griffith Show and spend time in Mayberry R.F.D. and we love, we love to spend time at Downton Abbey and we love, uh, we just love to be immersed in these worlds with these characters. These are characters that you love to spend time with, even the ones that are irritating and bombastic and domineering and you know
0: but they're real you know we we know them (laughs) we know these people and we see in albert herring in the the opera the concerns that that britain will always return to and that is the the place of the outsider within the community good point you know somebody who is perhaps slightly different we see it in peter grimes here albert is a part because of his particular circumstance, he sees Sid and Nancy. He's yearning for that. But, of course, the society around him, the Lady Billows and his mother and uh, uh, Mr. Gedge, the vicar, et cetera, they are all wanting to hold him, keep him in that position that he so wants to break out of.
1: Exactly. And it's fun to also look back at where... British operas started with, you know, with uh, Purcell's operas, which were of its day, you know, they're all very formal, very stylized, wonderful pieces, but, you know, always about gods and goddesses and heroes and mortals and all these lofty, uh, archaic, uh, dramatic structures. And, you know, opera has now gotten to a point where you've got a composer who is British, who is... Uh, looking at British opera as a nationalistic product and is composing operas that are about not gods and goddesses, but very ordinary, small-town British people meant to be performed for British audiences by British companies all across the country. And, uh, and he's done so brilliantly and, and, and very successfully. Benjamin
0: Britten's Albert Herring. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.